Welcome to McDonald's. What can I get you today? Hi, she'll have the quarter pounder with cheese, extra mustard, no pickles, and I'll have a 10-piece chicken McNuggets. And, and two sides, sides of ranch, please. The we've done this before meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Hey everybody, uh, this was the uh, long-promised and awaited uh, talk I had with Shane Bowman about Twin Peaks, the classic series. Uh, this is me after I've seen, I think, the first two seasons with some minor exceptions that we'll talk about in the podcast. Uh, I don't think I'd seen Firewalk with me. I have seen that since, um, and we'll probably be getting back together. Uh, my, my goal is to have a couple other... Uh, podcasters who have expressed an interest in talking about Twin Peaks with me um, to talk about Firewalk with me and then catch me up with the new season and then maybe do periodic check-ins after that. Um, But we have to start somewhere. This is my experience in in going through uh, the classic series, Twin Peaks Season 1 and 2, which you can watch for uh, free on Netflix, assuming you have a Netflix subscription, as always. Uh, So let's get right to it. Uh, Joining me now is Shane... Bowman, uh, you've heard Shane on a lot of Bald Move podcasts. You're, you're, Shane's one of the oldest members. Well, I don't, I don't want to say that. You, you've been with the Bald Move community from almost the very beginning. I don't, I think you're with us in the uh, the Blue Yonder days, uh, but certainly at the beginning of our Breaking Bad coverage, uh, he runs the Heisenberg yep. Chronicles, the premier. Uh, repository for all things Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fandom. You can hear him on Film Schlubs. Uh, you can find him on uh, lurking at forums.baldmove.com as HyperGeneSB. Uh, welcome to the podcast once again, Shane. Thanks, Aaron. We uh, invited you on the podcast because I remember talking to you about Twin Peaks because I was, uh, you know, we just, uh, what started all this is the, the Twin Peaks Commission. Uh, the community banded together, and a bunch of people ordered us to commission uh, or to, to do a podcast on Twin Peaks, which was uh, a ballsy thing to do because Jim is a noted David Lynch hater. Now, I yeah. haven't seen a lot of his work. I mean, I've seen it more now through Bald Move, but like, I I never understood why like he 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 hated him because like I had some nostalgia, I had some uh, affection for him because I was a big. Uh, Frank Herbert fan. I love the Dune series, and even though it was mm. a confusing mess, his movie I thought was very visionary and was a great visualization of like the greatest hits of the first novel. Um, and the novel yeah. itself is kind of trippy, and I felt that his style uh, lended itself towards that. And then, you know, I think there's a commission podcast someone had us watch. Uh, uh, shit, what, what what was the it's not blue velvet. It's the uh, the one about the lost the, highway. No, it's the one about the dream with the, oh, uh, Mulholland. Drive. Yeah, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. And I remember thinking yep. that that was a, re- a really good movie. I really liked it. Um, yep. And then we watched the Twin Peaks uh, show, uh, and we watched the first two episodes. I ended up watching the first three episodes, and I immediately like, oh my god, like I see. There's some dated things here. There's some things like very soapy things I don't understand, but I immediately saw the quality of the project and thinking like, mm-hmm. what in the hell must have people thought in the late 80s, early 90s when this kind of stuff, you know, like some maniac gave David Lynch a television show and told him to do something with it. And since uh-huh. then, 
uh, just to let you know, because I don't know uh, what what I did is I went on because um, I, what I'm I'm really trying to catch up as much as possible so I can start the new series on Showtime. Um, yeah, and so what I did is I watched the entire first season, which is only what eight episodes, ten episodes. Um, it, it, depending on how you count it, it's seven or eight. Okay, um, and then I watched the first twelve episodes of season two, right up to where mm-hmm. David Duchovny shows up as Denise. Then I skipped yep. the to the final two episodes, which was a trip because they introduced yeah. like Heather Graham showed up out of nowhere. Uh, yep. This Wyndham Earl character showed up out of nowhere. Uh, and it's all yep. this this psychological battle for the soul of Dale Cooper in the Black Lodge that he eventually loses. And then the series ends there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. You were – let's talk about your relationship with Twin Peaks because in conversations with you, okay. um, I get that you were like an old-school David Lynch fan who was like primed – like was excited for the series and was part of like watch parties. Uh, tell us about yep. what it was like to be that person in 1990, getting your mind blown by this. Well, uh, you know, I, I've told this story a couple of times, I think, in the forums. Uh, my first experience with David Lynch was I went to see in Thanksgiving one year, my girlfriend, she worked at the local movie theater, and they had a double feature uh, canned food drive. Mm. So you brought two cans of food and you got to watch two movies. And the movie was um, Pretty in Pink. OK, so this was back in the uh era of high school movies, you know, Breakfast Club, uh, the John Hughes movies, right? And that's what I really came to see was Pretty in Pink. But it was a double feature, and I don't know what sick person did this, but it was a double feature with Blue Velvet, Uh okay? And Blue Velvet is probably one of the biggest, you know, early mind fucks that David Lynch dropped on the world. Uh, You know, it had Dennis Hopper, it was the debut of Kyle MacLachlan, Laura Dern, and a lot of what became Lynch's stable of actors that mm. he used over and over. But the double feature started with Blue Velvet, and I sat down and I could not believe what I was seeing. And I absolutely fell in love with the visuals. And um, and the story was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I mean, I was 16. I was pretty straight-laced. And <laughs> uh, it was revolutionary in the way... I viewed film and its potential and it kind of kicked off a lot of things in my life. Seeing blue velvet changed me in a, in a number of ways. And, uh, I, uh, ultimately I applied to film school at NYU because of that. I was like, I want to be a filmmaker. This is definitely what I want to do with my wow. life. I got in, I, I actually got into NYU, uh, but I couldn't afford to go there. It was like forty grand a year to go. Yeah. This is a uh, nineteen eighty-seven. Right. It was ridiculously expensive for for its era. Even today, it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I couldn't go. But I I got in on the strength of uh, uh, um, and uh, and what do they call those submissions? Uh, I wrote an essay about Blue Velvet and how it changed me. And um, so in college. Uh, yeah, sophomore year of college, that's when Wild at Heart, you know, his big right. follow-up came out. And 
shortly around that time, you know, Lynch had won, I think, like the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, and he was very celebrated as an auteur filmmaker. Uh, this is in the days of early Spike Lee films and auteur. There was kind of an auteur mm-hmm. era uh, during that time period. But man, oh man, uh, I don't know who gave, who greenlit, you know, Twin Peaks and the origin story of that. Uh, but when this came on, I was nuts about it because I was obsessed with David Lynch. And you have to appreciate the era of what TV was like in this time. Yeah, what so was the contemporary 19- of Twin Peaks? Okay, so let's talk about that. So the top TV shows of 1990 were The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. All right. Beverly Hills, nine, Beverly Hills 90210. Right. Seinfeld. Law and Order, Cheers, Who's the Boss, L.A. Law, ALF, Full House, Quantum Leap. It was the era of sort of saccharine um, sitcoms and, um, you know, law, law, law procedurals. I mean, the Cosby Show was huge in this time period. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Spoiler alert, that, that, that that does not end well. (laughs) <laughs> but you know i mean the golden girls designing yeah. women these yeah. were, this is what was on the cover of entertainment weekly this is what people were kind of this was what the typical tv show was in that time period right, right. and you compare that to the likes of blue velvet or wild at heart and it couldn't be further uh apart in the spectrum right and they released twin peaks on thursday nights up against Cheers. Right. Cheers. Right. Cheers was one of the biggest shows on TV. Sure. I mean, that was a you, you think Modern Family and and uh, Big Bang Theory and stuff like this is dominant. Go back to and look at the ratings for Cheers during this era. You know, you're talking 40, 50 million people watching this stuff right. religiously. And, uh, you know, kind of out of nowhere, the show gets dropped and it became – uh, an, an instant phenomenon. I mean, the pilot had 34.6 million viewers. Wow. 34.6. It was the highest rated show, um, highest rated episode of TV ABC had had in four years. That's the, um, that's I mean, the it, movie. It, they, they showed that as like a TV movie. So it was over, a, you know, like a, a three, probably three yes. hours long by the time they chopped it with commercials or. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. But, I mean, those numbers don't exist anymore. No. You know, 34.6 million. By the end of season one, you know, uh, a, a lot of people had dropped out because it was a little too esoteric and, and surreal for, I think, the average audience member. But still, by the end of season one, they had maintained eight, 18.7 million. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, Game of Thrones, which is that's about know, where the Walking they're, yeah, Dead numbers. Yeah. That's that, and those are the biggest right. shows on television now. Yeah, now, and so you know, it, it, this this is twenty seven years ago, uh, so you know things have changed so much. But you know, just watching this, the uh, TV in this era was appointment television. Uh-huh. You, if you were lucky enough to to own a VCR and knew how to program it, you could record this, and you know. But in colleges, this was the show was huge. Right. I mean, we'd have people fifteen twenty deep. In watch parties, dressing up, you know, having coffee and cherry pie, and it, it was a real phenomenon. It was uh, crazy. It also was kind of the uh, one of the ABC executives was coined as saying, 
Um, this was water cooler phenomena. And water cooler as a term wasn't really in wide use in this time. Uh-huh. And so the idea of talking about and solving something, you know, was this was kind of the precedent for so much of what we experience as TV commonality, common experience in our prestige, peak TV, you know, kind of day-to-day uh, TV viewing, right? Right. And, and so so you were coming at it, you kind of, I guess, knew what to expect or you were hoping for, like, yes. some, some weirdness. Now, the first couple episodes, and maybe until the end of the third episode, I thought it was a fairly straight... A lot more straight than I thought than I was imagined. Were you kind of like dismayed initially, and then as it got weirder, jubilant, or like what? Like what? What was your mindset? And I guess the mindset of the the average TV person and maybe the Twin Peaks fan, Twin Peaks fan, as this stuff got weirder. Because like my experience with Twin Peaks, um, you know, I was a adolescent. I was like 13, 14 years old when this thing came out. And um, uh-huh. I remember it being like there was like TV Guide would have like you know like when for season two coming back they they had these big pullouts where it would show like all the characters and how they're related and like all the, and I remember like being attracted to the lore and also like uh, I remember I remember in, 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 in purient terms uh, People Magazine had a fifty most beautiful people where I think th- three of the the three main women from like Laura Flynn Boyle. Uh, Cheryl yep. Finn and who am I forgetting? Uh, oh, oh, so Mad Sh- Mad Cheryl and Finn, Madchen, uh, D- D- Kelly, Amic. yeah, Amic. They they were Shelley. all uh, Shelly, Shelly. They were all in yeah. in that thing, and I'm like, oh my god, these women are beautiful. I actually made a go out of watching yeah. like the first episode or two, but <laughs> uh, it uh in season two, and I was just immediately lost and you know kind of lost interest. So, uh. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, there were even though the first couple episodes are fairly conventional, I think from a storytelling and plot perspective, Mm -hmm. there was David David Lynch's fingerprints all over it. You know, these kind of um, weird still shots of the trees. Right. right? You know, where it's like you just see the trees waving the very moody shots of the traffic lights Mm -hmm. and um Uh, And the music and some of the characters, some of the actors, uh, you know, like Jack Nance, the guy who plays Pete Martell, uh, he has a kind of an unusual role in in Blue Velvet. These these his fingerprints were all over it. So I knew where it was heading, Mm -hmm. even if the average viewer didn't. And I think that was actually kind of smart for Lynch and ABC that it was still quirky as hell. I mean, you know, there was nothing tonally like that. And regardless of what episode you look like, you you look at on that show, even in the middle of season two, tonally, it's still so wildly different than anything that was on TV. And I was glued to it because it was different. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. the soap opera-y part of Twin Peaks I never loved or identified with. Um, I was more into the straight up murder mystery right. and the all the surreal weird shit of what's inside David Lynch's head. Why do you think he'd fit shoehorn the parody of a soap opera onto this thing? Because those I I still as a, when I think back at some of those moments are so jarring. I want to talk about that and the other thing is like the attempts at comedy in this show. Uh I found 
Well, I mean, it's weird. I didn't, I, I didn't get, and I thought it was dumb. But then I, they didn't exactly grow <laughs> on me. But I, I, I don't know. I, I at one point I stopped at least making fun of it. Like the whole Andy Sheriff Andy, uh, that whole character. I, I wish fall, uh-huh. you know, had fallen into a fire and died. Um, like I hated the mm-hmm. plot line between the. The pregnancy and who's that? Who she's going to pick? And the you know the his his rivalry with the uh, what clothing manager of the damn department store who was like South or Matt? Like did 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 <laughs> does the show know that he's gay? Uh, like like uh, me yeah. and Cecily were trying to debate about whether this was like a, a like like TV, one of TV's first gay characters or whether he was just like a Liberace type and nobody I, I I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on with with any of the attempts at comedy and the soap opera stuff. Can you talk about does David Lynch just have a weird sense of humor? Does he not care? Was it he just doing that wow. to because because sometimes I think he does things just to fuck with the audience and get them into a mental state. It, it it like like the the things that actually happen are beside the point. He's wanting to get some yeah. kind of tension or anger or anxiety in you, and he'll do it any way he can. Well, I I do think there's quite a bit. Uh, a lot of the soap opera, I think, um, pastiche that's in this show is really all about living in a small town. And Twin Peaks was, uh, you, you know, an absolute, absolutely perfect at defining place mm-hmm. and a sense of place. And it's not just from the, uh, not just through the cinematography and the, the locations, but the people and the things that people talk about in small towns. I mean, this is a quintessential murder mystery in a small town and you know this is clue this is poirot this is all the standard you know types uh this is a stereotype right in a lot of ways it's a weird because i I do lynch is always as a guy who grew up in a a small town uh that even had a sawmill as one of its standard like everybody works their uh, fixtures in town uh i found that some of that stuff rung true but a lot of stuff like i couldn't like the fact that this town had a casino and like a strip joint and like all this seedy nightlife and it's just like that it's it's almost like they wanted to take the small town gossipy and and charm and everybody and everybody's shit but then mix like big city seediness to it and i guess hand wave that it's some kind of black lodge mysticism around the evil woods and um, I wasn't sh- I wasn't so sure how I felt about all that. I mean, it didn't like again. I I really admire Twin Peaks enough that I plowed through mm-hmm. God knows how many hours of television in one of my most busiest times of the year, and I'm going to plow mm-hmm. through what at least twenty more with this show- Showtime series. Like I was yep. I was shocked when I looked and saw that it wasn't like a ten or twelve episode normal prestige. It's like a huge episode order. Um, yeah. but I, there's a couple things where like, I liked it despite it. And I kept on thinking like, is this, is this David Lynch manipulating me? Is he like getting me angry at this character for some greater purpose? And I don't know, Andy, that never seemed like it paid. He was like just a comic relief and I got no relief in his comedy. So, well, I, you know, I do think that the mid eighties has something to do with that. You know, what was huh. considered to be comedy at the time. Uh, but even still, he, he, Lynch is just, um, and I do, th- I always, 
we always say it's Lynch, but it's Lynch and Mark Frost. And I, I that's true. I'm not a, I'm not an expert on you know the lore of Twin Peaks and how they, how did they actually divvy up their duties? I mean, it was clearly a lot of Lynch's vision, and I'm not sure what all Mark Frost brought to the table I, in their so collaboration. I, I, I did the, the the thing that drives me nuts about it is that I'm deathly afraid to do any kind of googling on Twin Peaks because like all the major Twin Peaks wiki sites have kind of blended already yes. folded in revelations from the new series to the old. And I'm like, oh god, but. I did read some like interviews and stuff, and it seems like that maybe Frost had a similar influence on Lynch that like uh, um, Parada had on Damon Lindelof in The Leftovers. Mm. Like he's always the yeah. guy that is like, "All right, cool story, bro. How about if we pump the brakes just a time or two and <laughs> still have the unicorn, but maybe it's not shitting rainbows and throwing up kittens." Uh, so like that he was kind of like, you would, would filter, um, and, and harness yes. the, the, what, 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 what David Lynch wanted to, uh, put, put on the, uh, the screen. That's what my yeah, understanding I, is of the relationship. I have read quite a bit about that aspect of it, but I don't know what, you know, if you look at all the things that showrunners have to do yeah. and the things that they can bring to the table, I know that he he worked heavily with Lynch in the plotting of mm-hmm. uh, certain aspects of the story and outlining like the first season that, you know, this show actually had a, a stable of writers, mm-hmm. right? Lynch and Frost didn't write any of it, to my knowledge. They just outlined it kind of in the same way Lynch, I mean, um, Gilligan and his team do where they, they do that um, – you know, carding right. uh, exercise yeah, yeah, yeah. where they go through all the beats and it's pretty detailed. Apparently season one and parts of season two were heavily detailed by Lynch and Frost and then handed over to writers. And occasionally writers would bring uh, a little nuance here or there to it, but it didn't go out the door without their approval and, uh, and their, uh. their stamp of, yes, that was a good contribution. Um, but then they both backed away and largely Lynch backed away in season two from having any engagement on that level. And so the outlines were much looser and different writers influence came into the story. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how their writers room worked, but that's, I think why season two is all over the place is because a lot less of it was being detailed from Lynch and Frost. Yeah. And it was more turned over to the, the freedom of the writers. So I, Tell me, because uh, I, I thought the first season of Twin Peaks was one of the most exciting things I'd seen in a while. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, this is my expectations. I was concurrently watching The Leftovers, which is kicking my ass and blowing my mind on a weekly basis. And it's still this this show from, what, 25 years plus ago um, was was getting my attention. I found it harder to focus on... I found season two, even like the good parts, quote unquote good parts, were were kind of kind of spotty, and there was a lot more weird stuff going on in the edges that I wasn't quite sure about. And then I skipped like episode thirteen through twenty, and I watched twenty one mm-hmm. and twenty two, which I believe is the penultimate and finale. Can you give me yeah. like a thumbnail of what I missed in? Because you know, obviously Heather oh. Ga- Graham showed up, and she's some kind of uh, you know like. Like like soulmate for Agent Cooper, 
they clearly developed this, you know, Black Lodge. They completely introduced this Wyndham Earl who, uh, you know, I have no clue what the hell. I, I, I'm ga- I gather that he was a colleague once of Cooper's. Oh, that's the other fucking thing. Um, <laughs> David Lynch put, put himself in the series as that deaf, um, what, what was his name, Gordon? Yeah. Like I, I, yes. I told Seth, like, I was like, "Oh my God, that's David Lynch." He's like, "No, it's not." And I'm like, "I swear to God, like I haven't seen many pictures of David Lynch, but I'm almost cer- certain that that's David Lynch." What, what, what? Why is he there? Why is he deaf? Why did he decide to play himself? Um, do you know any of the apocrypha in this, or like how that? Like, I really don't know that. Like, like here, I, I just found this about last, tonight because I started doing a little bit of re- Like, Bob was yeah. the hairdresser that accidentally was seen in a reflection of, like, the pilot episode. And Lynch decided he liked his look and then yeah. decided to cast him as the, the main malevolent force in the whole fi- Like, I, I'm like, I can't believe that that's that seems crazy that something like that would happen. That's like Harrison Ford banging together a set on Star Wars and then someone saying, you know what? I think he's he would be a good Han Solo. It's like, what the hell? How does that happen? <laughs> yeah, Lynch is um, he's well known uh, to be into to be into transcendental meditation and uh, he th- there's a scene in episode three, I think it is. And it, you're much more fresh on the material of this show than I am, because the last time I rewatched, I think completely uh, was years ago. Most of what I've been doing is just dipping in on episodes and kind of refreshing, you know, the Firewalk with me movie or. Uh, key episodes from the story because it's all well indexed on the internet now and i just looked up right. what episode was that again where they explain x y and z right and uh a lot of what was in towards the end of season two was trying to set up storylines for season three which they didn't know if there was going to be one or not and then okay because kind of the that, that was my question of whether they knew that season two is going to be it and so was that a cliffhanger or you know like the ultimate reveal that dale cooper is possessed by bob was that a cliffhanger or was that like david lynch dropping the mic and saying you know something about the world Yes. Well, how a lot of things were to resolve in season two, we never got to see because that is exactly what happened is David Lynch came back in and said, sorry, guys, I'm doing whatever the F I want Mm -hmm. at the end of this at the end of this series. And uh, I don't care what you guys have planned for uh, for season three, because I don't think it's going to happen. And then he kind of resolved things the way he wanted to. And it Look, there's, you know, um, there was a little graphic that was circulated in the forums that's called the Twin Peaks Survival Guide. Right. And it tells you which episodes to watch and and all that kind of stuff. Uh And there's a bunch of things that they talk about in that graphic about why season two went off the rails. Uh And they say ABC, you know, forced Lynch and Frost to resolve the murder of Laura Palmer. And um, Lynch is quoted in millions of interviews to say, they screwed up the show by forcing us to resolve this. My intent, me being Lynch, his intent was to never resolve it. And Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. (laughs) 
exactly. I mean, that sounds dubious um, at best, and who know who knows how long he actually intended for the show to go on. But right. if you remember who shot Jr. Mm-hmm. right, and and uh, on the TV show Dallas, right, we didn't learn who shot Jr. until mid season four. Right. It was like the eight or ninth episode of season four. Mm-hmm. So if they can drag who shot Jr. out that long I'm, and, and have it be compelling and highly rated TV, then uh, and uh, you can't quote me on that. I don't know if it was compelling, but I know it was highly rated. But uh, yeah, I remember you know, people that that like who shot Jr. is kind of a joke at this point, like as like, you know, for for maximum tease, minimum payoff. Right. But I mean, I do think David Lynch could have easily gone several seasons and not revealed who shot Laura Palmer and have it be widely, you know, heavily compelling and interesting and yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, once he was forced and I think it was really more that he was forced to do it prematurely than as opposed to what his own timetable was in his head for resolving Uh the mystery. Once he they they forced him to do that, he didn't want anything to do with the show, yeah. and that was kind of his major problem. Um, the other problem was season one was eight eight episodes, right? Almost season, ahead season, of its time, as far as yes. like golden age length. Exactly, and season two, they ABC wanted to milk the shit out of this, so mm. they get they ordered twenty two episodes, and Lynch did not want to do that. He wanted an eight to ten episode order for season two, mm-hmm. same for season three, and he could have easily, I think, resolved the who shot Laura Palmer. Maybe you know at the end of season three, there was mm-hmm. I think there was quite a bit there. Um, ABC, though, if you if you read any of the interviews with the executives, they say. The audience was clamoring for an answer. That's why they forced Lynch. Well, that's true. To... I believe that's true. That's what they do. I, I believe that's true. But they also this is a, it was also not unheard of. And if it was done compellingly, who mm-hmm. gives a shit? Right. You know. But okay. Uh, but there was also some weird stuff kind of behind the scenes. Kyle MacLachlan was dating Laura Flynn Boyle, I, and because because obviously they were trying to set up something with Shelley and him, right? Or no 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 not share uh uh with um Audrey Audrey uh Sh- Cheryl yeah. Finn's character um yeah. and I'm and I'm like huh this is gonna be interesting how they turn the corner on this and then that just went away and I yes. Cecily told me because I guess she did she's she's fearless she doesn't have to do a podcast and have to preserve any <laughs> kind of artistic or podcaster integrity so she's just yeah like sitting beside me on Wikipedia like oh my god oh my and I'm like what the hell so she one of the things she said she could tell me was that apparently the reason that went off the rails is because Laura Flynn Boyle didn't like it and I'm like yeah. Jesus Christ are you kidding me yeah, that's well, I mean, the, there were these kinds of things behind the scenes that were also going on that I think made. And look, this what, what, what does she think? When, what does she think when Roller Girl came came <laughs> wheeling through the studio? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, regardless, everybody knows season two was a mess. If you read any of Lynch's modern reviews, mm-hmm. yeah, modern interviews with him, mm-hmm. he says unequivocally season two sucked. He said the only thing he's proud of is the pilot and everything else he's very uncomfortable with. But I I think the interesting thing about Lynch is 
he's not interested in answers or definite resolution. This is exactly why Jim doesn't like this show. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's why he doesn't like Mulholland and a lot of the things that Lynch does is because it's not conventional storytelling where there's clear resolution of, of plot and uh, character. There's It's, in his mind, more like life and more interesting to not answer than to be clear and answer things. I mean, just watch any of his interviews from the last 15 years. You'll get, you'll see the interview try, interviewer try to pin him down on something, and he's not interested in in definite answers about anything. Yeah, it's much more interesting for him to uh, leave things to interpretation. Mm-hmm. He's he's definitely got ideas about what about everything in the scene the music the visual the acting he's got clear ideas about all of that it's just very unconventional Mm -hmm. uh to what we're used to but this show had insane impact on all the modern showrunners of our day right you know lindelof it's funny that you're watching this at the same time as the leftovers because lindelof and jj and a number of the people from lost They've all said there what there would have never been a loss and there never would have been a leftovers without Twin Peaks. No, I and and, and Lindelof was saying the whole time, anytime he gave an interview, he always brought it to like I cannot, I am so giddy that my show is airing as a peer to the to the the remake or the what is the the return of Twin Peaks like that pleased yeah. him on a fan on a fan level so so much and I got and and yeah totally like you see this. This is the this is the the prequel to the X Files, like yes. you know, da- yes. Agent Cooper is Fox Mulder in in a, a toned down version of of Dale Cooper actually is Fox Mulder, um, because uh, you know I, I feel like the X Files rarely got to be as funny because because here's the things like I did find a lot of things in Twin Peaks funny but I don't think they were like funny as written. You know, mm. just the fact that, like, uh, you know, like the mountain, the table, tables full of mountains full of donuts, and Dale Cooper, Riley, just you know, talking about, oh, it's a cop's dream, and like some of that stuff, I thought was hilarious in 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 kind of a, in a kind of a weird way, and the fact that yeah. like there was this time when they went to talk to Ronette, and they were him and 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 Sheriff Truman were struggling with this like stool. For five minutes, there's just like a five minute scene yeah. where they're just fucking with the furniture to as a prelude <laughs> to this this interrogation. This tr- and I'm like, what is going on? And that was like co- like kind of a comedy torture, but I, I don't know. Um, well, it, look, his sense of humor isn't for everybody. What he finds funny, and you know that that sort of tonal um, uh, space for his comedy is very unusual, and it's in my opinion, it's one of his signatures. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to like it. I do think some of what Twin Peaks suffers from is some of the sort of the soap opera stuff and the comedy doesn't always translate, Yeah. Um, you know, after 25 years. And comedy is a rough thing to translate over time. Yeah, that's true. You know, you know, I mean, go look at any of the great, you know, comedies of the 80s or 90s. There's Most a lot of, them of are lot, not a lot funny of, at all. A lot of cringy stuff. And I've that's been unfortunate with me. Like, I've, uh, I've tried to show Jack on some, you know, uh, some... It, it, like, for example, we went to see... Uh, or I didn't to see... I, I showed him the first Naked Gun. 
Uh-huh. And like, I still think a lot of stuff is funny, but it's so of the moment and it's so dependent on pop culture references and political references. And like the only thing that still works is the slapstick, which is still mm. really, which is really still funny. Um, but so much of that stuff just doesn't hit anymore. Um, it's, uh, but well, yeah, but I don't know, like Twin Peaks, like for, for example, like I kept on thinking as I was watching Twin Peaks, like how much better this would have been with like a baseline competent score that wasn't intentionally trying to, I guess, ape the tropey soap opera overwrought emotional displays of the time. Cause that, I felt like un- unlike like the leftovers where, it's not fair to say that it does the heavy lifting because everyone's doing heavy lifting, but it certainly mm-hmm. is, is carrying its fair share. I felt this this soundtrack in dramatic moments was just kicking the film the kicking the film in the crotch. Um, yeah, I, I could see how some of the more lighthearted aspects of the score I thought were ridiculous, but then there's other parts of the score that I think are genius. I mean, a- a- Angela Bottolamente. You're right. There were there there were like when I'm talking about the stupid stuff is like anytime there's like, there's grief going on or anytime there was like uh, like Donna. There there's this theme that Donna and was a yes. Bobby had. And I just wanted to stab James. my ears out every single time that thing sh- started yes. up. Yes. Like it was, it was like the two minutes hate from 1984 with me and Cecily every single time that the, that, that thing fired up. And I'm like, sure. uh, but yeah, some of the, you know, like I talked a lot of shit in the podcast about how I just didn't find Bob terrifying. Uh-huh. Bob gets, Bob gets terrifying like towards the end yes. of the season. And, and some of the stuff in the finale episode is as scary as I've ever seen any place. Like, I mean, not in like yes. a, uh, not not like a conjuring type, but just in a like you know when when Laura like undead Laura Palmer comes at you with her milky eyes and the strobe effect, it's really affecting. Yeah. That whole episode yeah. where Dale's is is getting lost in the Black Lodge is is really creepy and scary. And the performance, the performance that they get out of like Kyle McLaughlin's unhinged, maniacal look as he's smashing his head into uh the mirror i i mean it it works it 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 fucking it it works like a champ man and i just like yeah. it's so weird like it's a tale of two shows like it's got this it, it's like it's like the it's like peanut butter and or it's like like chocolate and dog shit instead of peanut butter like <laughs> it is not too great taste that tastes great together and it doesn't seem like yeah, even I, as you as a Lynch fan, it like it. You also recognize the fact that some of this art is not doing its job, or you're at least mm-hmm. feeling me on that. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I don't disagree with anybody's you know take a reaction to Twin Peaks. I mean, it is, <laughs> it, 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 the reason why is is that um, look, I, I, it's not for everyone. A, B, all of it is not for everyone. I mean, I remember quite vividly my friends and i talking about certain aspects of the show like you know the the woman who's obsessed with the drapes yes oh my god her plot where she went back to be in a high schooler was like who that it's it's really awful stuff Uh and but i i will sit through hours of that to get to moments in the red room and yeah. the giant appearing and yeah. you know while while Cooper's got multiple bullets in him and Right. That was great. You know, you know all of that stuff is so unique and and 
uh, and powerful and or or just Audrey Horn dancing through the dine the diner with this kind of you know dreamy music it's like that kind of stuff yeah uh that that's what like you know if you you look at the list of people who were in all of these like why is twin peaks one of the most influential shows and why why don't you have all the shows you have today is is because of this is because people like david chase chris carter matthew weiner vince gilligan brian fuller sam esmail Noah Hawley, mm-hmm. all these people, Damon Lindelof, they were watching this and they were being affected by it just like I was because right. it was so unique and unusual and powerful. Yeah. And man, it is fan- it's a fantastic read to go out there and read interviews like with David Chase or Damon Lindelof who go down, you know, very detailed and talk about the sense of place and how they learned about how the how do you do world building? Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks was uh, an education for all of them sure. on things like that. And uh, how do you bring unusual things? I mean, the the role of dream sequences inside of The Sopranos, you can draw right, a nice sure. clear line from the show to that. Or uh, a lot of the mythos of Lost, uh, you can draw a clear line from A to B on some of this stuff. You remember when Legion came out? Everybody was was making the the David Lynch parallels, mm-hmm. you know, about how Twin Peaksian and uh, odd it was. It I, that drove me nuts because very few people. Yes, you could say it was influenced by, but very few people can nail the David Lynch um, aesthetic, the tone, the mm-hmm. all of it put together, you know. And that's I think what really defines an auteur, right? Is somebody who can kind of you know, whether it's Soderbergh or Spike Lee. I mean, Spike Lee's got such a clear signature. Uh, the the stories he likes to tell, the visuals, the sound, the actors. Uh, you put it all together, and it's a unique voice. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, you, you have to uh, appreciate it. But from a pure entertainment perspective, this kind of stuff isn't for everybody, dude. You know? Um, so that's why I can't really say you know you didn't like it okay uh, i mean it's not even worth arguing about now no, I, 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 I wish about loss. I, I wish <laughs> oh i mean yeah i don't know which side you want to take but uh <laughs> 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 one of these days i want to have like a show i'm just gonna have a podcast called aaron fights the world on loss i'm just gonna invite just like whoever <laughs> fucking you hit up my twitter first person call me call me and we will yeah. fight it's like you know meet it meet meet me after school uh, on sure. the steps, and we'll just duke it out because, God damn it, I'm so tired uh, of of uh, you know dealing with that shit. Um, yeah. Well, so another thing I'm curious about: why did no one break out of this show? If it was like this big mm. cultural influence, like it's amazing how n- no one of note that I can think of made it out of this show alive. Like Laura Flynn Boyle is arguably the biggest one, but I don't think. Like like she she had a re- renaissance with uh uh what was it the practice mm-hmm. uh and then that kind of like she blew started dating Jack Nicholson and she was in Men in Black what two or three and then she had some unfortunate uh, plastic surgeries and she's got like mm-hmm. I no one no one came at it like and uh, like I I was just really surprised because you had like clearly talented people who looked amazing. Uh, like Kyle McLaughlin obviously has so much talent and he's as, he's as handsome as the day is long. 
all the women on this show were beautiful and talented. What the hell happened? Why was was Twin Peaks like a curse? Kyle, he did go on to have a, a a really robust career. You know, he was on shows like Sex and the City and How I Met Your Mother and Agents of Shield, and you know, he had a movie career. He didn't get crazy big. Um, you know, uh, like you said, Laura Flynn Boyle did have some career. Shelley Finn had some. Uh, but nobody blew up big, uh, which is kind of a a very odd. But like, It's like weird because like for – I was worried about the same thing would happen with Mad Men, but it seems like at least – like I don't think – like if, if nothing else happens, like if, if like Elizabeth Moss gets hit by a bus tomorrow – She'll always have Mad Men and then Top of the Lake and then Handmaid's Tale, right? And uh, some sure. other stuff. Like those like I she's clearly broke out of Mad Men. Um uh it's it's crazy though, like, you know, uh John Hamm. Like I he, he he kind of you know, he did a really good turn as a villain and, and baby driver, but he's another guy who seems like, you know, why the hell can't he just get everything thrown at him? Um I just felt like that Yes, it's. They, I'm not saying these guys didn't have. I mean, even Ray Wise kind of like seemed like he got typecast as a as a crazy yeah. man, villain, satanic figure after this. But no one, no one had like a like what I would call a breakout, like the way like Elizabeth Moss seems to be enjoying. Uh, you know, but maybe that's I don't know. Maybe they didn't have as good agents. Maybe they didn't pick the roles right. Well, maybe they're not Scientologists. There a, what there was <laughs> a lot less TV going on back then. Okay, that's one. But I think you know. In the main cast, you know, Kyle MacLachlan did go on to have a substantial career. But in the main cast, most of the people, you know, the, the, there were some old timers like Ray Wise and Piper Laurie who yeah. were big before this and then continue to have good careers after. Laura Flynn, Sherilyn Flynn, Finn, um, Matt Shinamic, you know, they, they've had on and off careers. A lot of them have gotten a lot more work in recently because of PTV. But right. really – the, the stable of people who were very successful that came out of this show were people like David Duchovny. This is one of his earliest right. roles. You heard the, right? I don't know if you heard lunch, but like I my jaw because I I had heard that David <laughs> Duchovny had made a cameo and I was sticking around for that cameo. And it was like five to ten seconds when he entered screen before I realized, holy shit, that's David Duchovny. Uh-huh. And I'm weirdly attracted to him. <laughs> yeah. Above the nose, right? Yeah, from the mid-nose up. Beautiful woman. <laughs> B- mid-nose down, kind kind of busted, but yeah. <laughs> decent legs. Well, uh what I mean, that that was that was really ahead of its time. Yeah, it was. Like the it way was, he it, the way he articulated cross-dressing, I felt like was, you know, I don't know when Ed Wood came out, but like, I guess Ed Wood is probably the 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 next uh, thing that kind of pushed like you know kind of didn't do it as a stunt or like oh what a weirdo mm-hmm. like tried to get into the psychology of it. I don't know. Well, I, I'm look. I'm no authority on on you know transgender roles and presentations and Certainly. whatnot, but I, it, but Lynch trucked in a very odd world in life. I would believe and, that. And there, there was this weird bar in L.A. Uh, I lived in L.A. for a little over a, little under a year, and uh, there was this weird bar that had these huge white booths, and it was a piano bar mm-hmm. that a, a lot of very unusual people used to come in in West Hollywood. And you know, he 
I don't want to say transgender equals unusual, but it, it isn't something you run into every day. Right. And it, and, and, um, Lynch usually had in, in his shows, a kind of, you know, a really broad variety of life considering where he was, you uh-huh. know, where this show was supposed to be in the Pacific Northwest. I think he had a very diverse cast. Um, and that was pretty unusual for its time, but, yeah. uh, uh, but that look, is true. Yeah. This was he- Heather Graham's earliest roles w- was on this show. Right, right. Uh, Billy Zane, and then there's a bunch of character actors like Chris Mulkey, who just played uh, Billy Gatwood on Better Call Saul. Um, uh, you know, he had a big role in Twin Peaks. Uh, Miguel Ferrer, who who just died, but he's been on every show. You know, uh, uh, under the sun. You know, the guy who played um, Albert, right? The uh, yeah, the um, coroner kind of guy who does the uh, autopsies and uh-huh, whatnot. Uh-huh. There, there was a lot of these character actor uh, folks who came through the show that I think did, did have rich careers. You know who really had rich careers were the directors on this show. There was um, like uh, I don't know if you recall Leslie Linka Glader. You know she she's really well known as one of the top directors in TV. She was doing Homeland, the newsroom, the walking dead justified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's directed an episode of everything. Mad men, right. you know, the, the, these, a lot of the directors on this shows, um, Tim Hunter, who works now on Bosch and Hannibal, uh, James Foley is on billions and house of cards. Uh, there was a, a good stable of kind of below the line talent, not the acting talent. Uh-huh. That had very storied careers, and this was very early in their career. So well, that makes maybe sense. Did, that makes sense. I think it does. Um, but you, you know, the, this cast was massive. It really was. And maybe was. that's why there wasn't. It was as too ensemble. It's kind of it's, it's the friend factor, you know. Like they, there's just no one could break out because everyone's roughly the same velocity. And yeah, you know. exactly. And maybe maybe that was it. You know, other than. You know, Agent Cooper, you know, who kind of threaded everything together. Just about everybody had small ensemble roles. Right. 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 Uh, maybe that was it. Or maybe it was people became typecast, you know, for doing weird stuff on Twin Peaks. I don't know. It's just, you know that's the thing. It like, seems like that's the one thing advantages because, like, it, it almost defies typecasting like how do you like it's it's the 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 roles are so crazy and i get i guess they're memorable but like it's like you know it it i i i read something interesting where i guess i haven't seen firewalk with me that's my my next immediate goal is to watch firewalk with me um is that kyle mclaughlin's Mm. role was scaled down because he was afraid of being typecast as agent cooper um but yeah i found that hard to believe it was you know it's like like typecast implies that there is a type to be cast to and these guys were yeah. these these were just so unique like they rolled off the assembly line and then they destroyed the the plant burn it down like the fucking woodmill um I, yeah I, that's 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 crazy but you know i think firewalk with me is a brilliant piece of work uh, a it's kind of unusual cuz it's a prequel mm-hmm. um but the way it kind of fills in story that wasn't part of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the show, it, it, it's it's insanely beautiful. Uh, and it's got these unbelievable guest roles like um, uh, David Bowie is in Firewalk with no me. No kidding. And, 
Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. Chris Isaac uh, plays an FBI agent. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Do you think I'll, do you think uh, I'll like it? I loved it. It's more traditional Lynch than it is like just about all of the soap opera is entirely removed. It's all in the straight up Lynch vein. And I think he used it to explore things that he didn't get a chance to do on the show. And he had, you know, he had a lot more control and um, he kind of co-wrote it and, uh, you know, did (laughs) – he did everything like he likes to, and I, I, it, to me, it's it's the quintessential um, Twin Peaks story. I, I, I thought it was beautiful. It fills in a whole ton of events that could have easily been part of the show, mm-hmm. uh, but for some reason or another, they never got to explore. And it it makes me – when I saw it, it made me wonder if they had not asked Lynch and crew to resolve who killed Laura – what we would have gotten through a remainder of two or three seasons with Lynch full press involved because it, it, it's genius. It does some absolutely beautiful stuff. Do you – that was the other question I had. How the hell did David Lynch get to make a Twin Peaks movie? Did he like, – is there something in his contract that he owned all the rights as characters? Did he cut a check to ABC? What, how, how did that work? It, that, that's a good question. I, I don't know much about the rights and you okay. know how they were able because it came do out because like, that's the thing is like I my recollection because you know like my 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 t- my connection to pop culture is pretty hazy and tenuous until my mid twenties as a lot of people know um, or late twenties yeah. but my my cultural memory was that that this came out like ten years after Twin Peaks but it didn't it came out no. very like a year uh, a year or two yeah. after Twin Peaks ended. Yeah, so let, let's be – so New Line, I don't know if you remember New Line Cinema. They uh, were kind of like an art house uh, distributor. Um, and, you know, I, I I suspect that he maintained some rights. Um, but he was still very – even though the show had ended, he was still very caught up in the world. And he wanted to kind of get it out of him and get it on film. You know, this movie, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, had a budget of $10 million and it only made 4.2 in the box office. Wow. I, I mean, was surprised at how bad it bombed just because I thought there'd be more looky-loos, you know, for since Twin Peaks is so big. How does it... Yeah. How do people not... You know, I, I, guess, I guess that's the other question I had is, like, what did you think of the finale? Like, did you know that that was it for Twin Peaks? Uh, did you suspect that was it for Twin Peaks? Did you find it satisfying? Um, I did. I found it tremendously satisfying, and and you know, I was that was a hell admit, of an hour of television. I gotta say, it, like it I, was incredible. It had me on the edge of my seat. Uh, like like literally, I was I, I was pumped throughout the whole episode, and just like what the hell, what the hell, what the hell is going to happen? Um, but I I just wondered how because I and I also knew that like the story is going to continue, particularly with Kyle McLaughlin and they've got this new, and you know Lynch's type thing. So I I, I wasn't as kind of like oh my god. I just wondered like so you found it actually satisfying knowing I did like being being ambiguous about whether you get more or whether the story would continue. Well, it was well known at that Lynch had checked out. You know, even during the 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 run of the show, but the finale and was his baby. So exactly, and there was there there was promotion that he had kind of come back, and it was clear, you know, that his hand, you know, was 
he was behind the camera and he, he was driving it. And it was everything that I wanted the show to be was that stuff. I didn't care for, you know, mm-hmm. all the just absolutely ludicrous sort of schmaltzy, you know, storylines. And, right. and it was a return to form. And it gave, you know, I had a lot of faith in uh, that that there was this guy was still invested and that he could somehow wrestle the control. I mean, he's, he is a bit of a control freak and he likes to, uh, you know, I don't want to say control freak. He has a vision and he wants to actualize it. I mean, you saw him even dunk out. He, he backed away from the return because he didn't feel like he was getting enough money. And so he just stepped away from it and said, okay, I won't make the, the sequel. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ended up ponying up the money for him to do the show exactly the way he wanted to. But man, oh, man, uh, the, the finale, you know, you spend like 30 plus minutes in the red room. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, that sequence, you, you're just it, 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 it really is kind of hard to describe to people. But yeah, it really it, is. Like I was. I was just for a I said I actually and I might do this. I said, "Jim, I want us to watch. I want us to live watch the finale with you knowing no more than the first two or three episodes of Twin Peaks and see what the hell you can make of it." The thing cuz you know how it started. You know how it kind of starts right. as a fairly conventional murder mystery and then showing that final hour, I think it would I think it, I think first of all, I think it would be insanely popular and it would be a hoot. But I would just love to see what the like. He might just be like, "Well, fuck it, it's fucking Lynch's thing I've ever seen." Like, I dodged the bullet, but I don't know because there's some, especially since he's he's got to such a big horror background. There's a couple of things that just so viscerally work so well that I'm yeah. I'm amazed. Like, it's like you can't deny that it's that's artfully done. Well, the red room is iconic. Yes. Right. Yeah, and like literally. Yeah, and when you look at it, I, I, you know, of course, the red room is in the the, the sequel, right? That he's done now, mm-hmm. and there's a couple episodes that feature the red room quite a bit, and I, I really it didn't hit me until I was watching this one episode of the sequel how simple of a set it is. Yes, it's just curtains and a floor and a the, couple pieces of furniture. The, the chevron floor and the you know uh, Venus the, 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 the Milo or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's incredibly simple, but it's very powerful. And the way they did that reverse recording, I mean, yeah. I remember everybody talking about how they how they did. And it was it was cheap effects, uh-huh. you know. I mean, all I did was have the actors say shit backwards and then play it forwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there, there's not a lot of technology in it, but it is the biggest mind fuck you've ever seen. Yeah, because it feels you I, like I, when I first saw it, I'm like, I was wondering if like they were because uh, uh, they were because I was like, well, they're talking backwards, but I'm like, well, no, it sounds forwards. So maybe yeah. they're like what they're doing is they're speaking as they inhale because you know you can kind of do that sometimes and it gives you a weird and I but yeah. but the movements and then I realized what they had done is yes they had played the the actors had performed backwards and they're playing it forwards now I still don't know right. why in the first time that I why is Cooper in old makeup in the first appearance of the Red Room uh, I I. Couldn't have it. I don't have an answer. For okay, you. I, I wonder because yeah. like I was like maybe they answered that in the twelve episodes I skipped. But 
<laughs> I was like, no. that's still like one of the things when, uh, you know, I don't know. And I don't like, also, like, is everyone in the red, the, the Black Lodge evil because the giant showed up there and I felt like he was wholly benevolent? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, yeah, I got, I just got a lot of questions about it. Maybe they'll answer in a new series. I don't know. Is, do you know if the new series is like, is this a finale? Is this like a one shot and then done? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. So, so it's a, it's a one and done 18 episodes. So you That's can expect it. whatever finality you can expect from a David Lynch piece. Um, whatever yes. resolution or answer, which is probably none. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> well, it's, it's been interesting because I think the sequel has resolved some things. How, how but... have you, are you, have you, are you, are you current with the sequel? Oh, hell yes. What's dude. your opinion yeah, of I... it? Is it like, are you just over the moon about it? Cause I've heard a lot of different uh, reactions. Uh... So, uh, A, I'm over the moon about it because it's just having Twin Peaks, but having David Lynch, period, back in... I mean, it's been over a decade since he's released a movie. Yeah. And and so, just having him back into the discussion and creating again, I, I care about that more than any than the actual artifact. But there are one, two... Let's see, I think we're on episode 10 right now, 9 or 10. And there are two of those episodes I think are some of the most impressive things I've seen on TV in over a decade. Wow. And other parts of it I think are entirely boring. And huh. I just could care less. And it's it, it's like some of the stuff that was in the original series. And he, he I, look, I... One of the things I hate more than anything in peak TV isms out there is we aren't making episodic TV. We're making a 20 hour movie, you know, uh, or whatever uh, that that diatribe that we've heard over right, and over. Right. And it scared me because when Lynch was doing his early press for this show, he was he talking said, like he drunk that Kool-Aid. No, he was saying this is an 18 hour movie legit. Uh, and. It, he goes, you'll have to watch it all to, to for it to make sense. And I believe that's true based on what I've seen because some things he's resolved and other things, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And then other things are in that weird David Lynch, you know, odd comedy, odd, um, odd exchanges and interactions that sometimes I think for some people may be hilarious and for other people you're just sort of like, what is going on? Why am I watching this? And mm. It does the the way he ends the episodes in this in in the series is he just cuts to the bar in Twin Peaks and there's a band that starts playing a song and then that's the end of the episode. It's like there's a little musical interlude at the end of every episode that acts as the transitory event uh, between episodes, but the, the, so much of it has very little linear connectivity. There's a lot of things that seem to be happening kind of out of sequence or um, uh, maybe not in true linear storytelling fashion. I mean, Jim would absolutely hate, hate this, this return. Uh, mm-hmm. No matter how much he, if, if he ever found any value in any of David Lynch's work, it's very unaccessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I still think there are several episodes that are stone cold brilliant and Kyle McLaughlin is doing the best work of his career. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it blows away 
uh, I, I will be shocked if he isn't a nominated and B comes very close to winning. Um, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of what he's doing, but was well, not is, uh, is twin peaks not eligible for an Emmy this year? Cause like, wasn't like half of their season. Not, oh, wasn't. I, okay. I don't think it is. No. Okay. I mean, it might've had one, maybe two episodes. Okay, or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there, there's a, there's a, I think it's episode eight. Mm-hmm. Um, which everybody and their brother has been talking about that saw it. Mm-hmm. And that will, I think, clean up. But, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the ratings right now for Probably the show. Probably not great. Uh, 0.5 million viewers. Um, well, I mean, two, number one, it's on Showtime, point. which yeah. is where shows go to die. Uh, two, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's weird. I don't know. It seems like that people don't come back for remakes as much because like um last like you know last year when the X Files remake came back, like there was like this buzz, but when you actually look at the, how many people showed up to watch, um yeah. it was a total it was a total turd. Uh now that show was actually a total like I thought the X Files renewal was, was god awful. Um Yeah, it was with 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 some small parts episodes an exception but 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 got off of it i guess it doesn't surprise me because it feels like a lot of that stuff like you know i but that, on the other hand like if you're saying 40 some million people tried that at some point engaged with it in a serious earnest way how the hell yeah. can only half a million people care enough about it to check it out again like that seems crazy but again how many people have showtime well, I, I think Showtime's one barrier. I do think there's quite a few people who are just going to wait for it all to be aired, and right. then they're going to pay then, then, Showtime ten bucks for one month, right? And, and watch uh, it all and binge it. Yeah. yeah, it's long. It's definitely a long tail piece of content. Yeah, you know, the you know, it's one interesting thing that I, I, I I'd like to share about this show is. Uh, it aired once in its entirety on ABC, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, in the very early days, uh, this was a couple of years after I graduated college, so I'm thinking like 1993, mm-hmm. 94, Bravo was a fledgling network. And it was kind of what Sundance TV is today, mm-hmm. uh, or IFC. Right, it was right, kind right. Of like, it was kind of meant to be kind of like artsy, right. you know, art house cinema on TV kind mm-hmm. of spot. Mm-hmm. And they bought the rights to re-air it. And mm-hmm. it used to run a lot on Bravo, which is now, you know, housewife reality TV. Right. Uh, it's kind of odd in its own right. But a lot of people actually watched the show through Bravo for its first time because there were some weird rights about it being released on VHS or, hmm. And later on DVDs, and it didn't come out on DVDs till somewhere around 15 years after it was made, maybe even more than that, like 20 years. It hasn't been on DVD that long, and uh, so there was a. It, it has a weird place in TV history because, like, you couldn't go pick up Twin Peaks at your local Blockbuster. Right. So there was like a decade where nobody, if you didn't watch it the first time it aired or on one of the Bravo reruns, and most people didn't have Bravo as part of their cable package, you know, it it didn't, most people didn't have the opportunity to go see this iconic piece of TV until almost 15 years after it aired when right. it came out on DVDs. 
And I think that has that has a lot to do with its heritage. And, you know, it wasn't like it was on Netflix for the last 10 years. Yeah. When did Netflix get it? Because I guess that's the other thing I'm surprised is there's so much little interest because it's there for net. I mean, everyone's got Netflix and it's there for the binging. Yeah, and I think it's actually on Hulu as well. And maybe it, that's you know, the part where they get to midway through season two and like, what the hell? And like, I would love to know. I would love to see the watch stats <laughs> for that. Like, you know, like I hear, I hear sure. so much about Twin Peaks. Like, oh my god, this is amazing. Okay, I don't get this. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> well, in in season one, it went from 35 million to 19 million, so it uh, almost got cut in half in yeah. season one. And in season two, it went from 19 million to 10 million, mm-hmm. and Ten million back in the day was considered a failure. Right. It was like, why are we even doing this? I mean, right. today, ten million is top top yeah. fifteen, top ten TV. You know, um, but it, it dropped ratings in half in the second season, and so you know, I, I I can't I can't speak to its heritage. But when you saw everybody when it was fully announced that this was coming back, it's going to be the same way when they bring Deadwood back. I mean, it's it's iconic, influential, and influential to the creators of modern TV. Yeah, I mean, totally. Brian Fuller, Brian Fuller, and Sam Esmail and Damon Lindelof—they've given some fascinating interviews yeah. about how this show affected them and impacted how they they tell stories. And uh, in in that respect, I think it's worth people investing the time to kind of see how it influenced what we have today no i think especially if you don't if you don't get wrapped up in the mystery like the first season is sublime like yeah. it, it definitely has things i don't think work but i debate about whether in lynch's mind it works because he was trying to get you know you to feel a certain you know like that like i said i already had that debate but like i think the first eight episodes were just astounding and i just could like it's it is something that you could put on the shelf next to the the golden age of television, right? Yes, like, absolutely. like I and I didn't feel like I've gone back and watched like season one of Oz and like okay, I understand for its day, you know, and like season <laughs> one of season one of Sopranos and and like you know it's like which which um I I don't I don't know I need to see the whole thing one of these days and I don't want to piss any but God knows I don't want to piss anybody else off but I don't, I don't know how well that even is is holding up. Um, mm-hmm. a- after, you know, uh, things have matured so much, but like Twin Peaks really was, you know, 20 years ahead of its time. And it, it's, yes. cr- and, and the fact that this was on broadcast television, like I, I, I it was so extreme. Like it, it, it's like, it was an effect. Like if I had, you know, if I had gone back and read that, like, uh, you know, uh, Walmart in the late eighties was selling, uh, water that was laced with LSD, you know, like like their Sam's their Sam's Choice water had LSD, and that was a thing for like two years. Like that's like I just couldn't believe that that was on mainstream network television, and that people people loved it. Like that was the other thing. Yeah. You know, like you, you just you pitch this down mainstream America, and they knock it out of the park. I, that's 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 so interesting. Like that that almost yeah. never happens. Yeah, a- absolutely. It's uh, it's. It's remarkable it was made, and it was remarkable that um, that it was as successful as it was, considering how unusual it was. I mean, that very little of 
like once you kind of follow after Twin Peaks and you look at David Lynch's work that kind of comes after it, you're talking um, you're talking about Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive. You know, those he, he gets progressively less accessible. Yeah, I think in in terms of his, you know, in terms of in terms of traditional storytelling and becomes more esoteric and more unusual. That's and fair. certainly certainly. What's interesting about this, this, the, the return, the sequel of Twin Peaks is in so many ways, not only is it a sequel to the TV show, it's a sequel to all the ideas littered throughout his entire body of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are clear allusions uh, and references to Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Lost uh-huh. Highway, Mulholland Drive. All I feel like it's a sequel to everything he's ever made. Yeah. And. In that respect, I'm glued every week. And sometimes I get the weird soap opery uh-huh. uh, story with the with um, over of weird cultural commentary and references. Right. And then I get, and then you get buckets in between all of that that are just unlike anything that you've ever seen. And some people look at it like you look at it like the way dogs look at you when you're talking. They just kind of cock their head and go, nope, that's not for me. And for the rest of us, it is everything. And, uh, man, I, I cannot wait to see where the back half of this, this new revival goes because I know it's going to end up somewhere stunning. And who knows what the hell he's got in store for us the last few episodes of this story. Right. Well, it's I nuts. I'm excited I'm excited to catch up and I I um, the the reason I'm kind of doing this podcast is to kind of I'm hoping to um if, if I can catch up here in the next week or two uh start doing some kind of like bi-weekly thing with uh, mm-hmm. you and a couple other podcasters I have in mind and I've talked to privately to kind of you know talk through because especially you know I I've I've heard lots of different things. Like I've heard, you know, I don't want to name names until until they can, you know, defend their arguments. But I've heard from, I've heard all over the place from people I respect. Like I mean, Chris and Andy on the the Watch, um, yep. which you know, Andy and I, uh, I've, we've had a, a one sided rivalry, a feud, uh, <laughs> where it's like it just seems like everything I love he shits on. Uh, yep. and, uh, but, but I, I do, like, as I've listened to his podcast, I kind of respect his, his, his opinion more. And like him and Chris are just like talking in Twin Peaks as if it's hushed tones and Damon Lindelof talks about how great it is. And then you're telling me all this stuff. But then I've also heard other people who are just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's, it is what it is. And it's David Lynch and all that. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really curious, really curious to see, see for myself. So. Uh, I hope you come back on when I get caught up and and we can talk about it when I've uh, got got all of this under my belt. Now, the other big question: Do you think it's worth my time? Uh, knowing how knowing me the way you do, which you know, mm-hmm. certain so there's a certain familiarity of hearing me talk for as much as you and, and hearing my opinions. Do you think it's worth for me to go back and and pick up the le- the ten or twelve episodes that I skipped? Do you think, or do you think that's better? That's better left by the wayside. No, I, I, I think there's a lot of interesting story, you know, more so in the sort of later part of the season two. I mean, I, I certainly don't see any problem skipping, you know, 13, 14, 15, you know, that kind of mid mid spot. But 17 and on, it really starts to pick up like whoever made this survival guy graphic uh, on Reddit 
it's so absolutely perfect mm-hmm. uh, in, in every way. I couldn't agree more with the because I like how the the, the the red the red is not say bad. It's it's mad sketchy. Which uh-huh. I which I think as as a person I I watched for the red episodes and I kind of agree that's 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 how they should be referred to. They're mad sketchy. Like yeah. like what what you get out of that might be what you bring into it. And and yeah. and your attitude and and your mean and your your disposition towards life. Well, the thing you cannot uh, miss is Firewalk with me. I think that's quintessential because they're are several things in the revival that are referred to Mm -hmm. story-wise that happen only in Firewalk With Me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is a must-see. And yes, I think it's it's always worth spending your time with David Lynch work. Now, a lot of people would argue this midsection has nothing to do with him. It's funny. uh, Diane Keaton actually directed one of these episodes. I saw that. I saw that. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, it's it's unusual. I mean, she ended up becoming a very uh, accomplished director, but I think this was one of her early attempts at directing. Uh But there's still a display of considerable talent. Uh, I just don't think this story is particularly entertaining. Um, but the Wyndham Earl stuff is crazy. And uh, I, there becomes more um, – there's some alien shit. And I don't know if this is like a fish NATO kind of thing for you. Uh, but there's some alien stuff that kind of happens in 13 through 21 that uh, – and some characters that – fill in some of the black lodge understanding Mm -hmm. uh what what is it some people have theories about it Mm -hmm. and having a better appreciation for the black lodge going into the revival is important so i i do think it's worth your time whether you'll uh fully appreciate it and be quote-unquote entertained i think that's you know (laughs) your mileage may vary in a huge way but Story-wise, there's some important stuff that won't make sense in the revival unless you've you've seen that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, guess I <laughs> guess I got to take my medicine then. <laughs> gotta, well, uh, I got to get go, mad sketchy. Well, I, I do think you should jump right on the movie next. Yeah, that's uh, that's and, that's what I'm going to do, and then get into the new stuff. And I don't know because I, I I just don't. There's no effing way I'm going to have room for 12 more hours of television on top of everything else I'm doing right now. And Rick and Morty's coming down the pike and there's a whole bunch of other stuff yeah. I want. Cause like game of Thrones is consuming my life and rightfully so it's like our bread and butter. But, uh, I got, I got a lot of other irons in the fire and I'm just trying to be as efficient as possible, as efficient, efficient and entertaining as possible. Cause that's, that's what's entertaining efficiency. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course <laughs> I, I do think, you know, it's interesting. I know quite a few people who never watched the original at all and are just watching the sequel and loving it. Yeah. Uh, huh. You know, I and, could see that because like, honestly, yeah. um, I one of the notes I saw on Reddit when I was looking at this, like, you know, people saying, like, what what am I going to miss? if I'm, And they're like, you know, honestly, if you jump in for the last two episodes – you'll there's going to be a lot of like wait what the fuck but honestly that's a good that's not a bad way to watch it yeah you know uh that that just uh, like you just just go in and yeah there'll be characters you don't know there'll be situations you don't know but that's actually kind of part of the 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 the, the charm so i could see just like jumping in and having it all be what the fuck would not would be not be a bad way to do it sure 
Well, I, look, dude, you're a full-time TV podcaster, okay? This, to me, is you have to understand the canon and uh-huh. have an appreciation for the canon. Uh, you know, you've... Yeah, I, I'm somebody who will say, look, you got to do all of Deadwood. You got to do all of you have to understand the Sopranos and 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 its place and what it and, and its impact to understand what's come after. 